Welcome to Paytech Talk, the podcast of payment technology law, brought to you by the dedicated lawyers at Adderholt Munich. With Paytech Talk, you get the latest trends and topics and experience the world of payment, banking, and IT. Hi and hello, this is Suzanne Grohe and I'm hosting Paytech Talk today. Um, we're going to talk about blockchain and is it all hot air or are there real use cases? Um, I'm very happy to have somebody who should know about this. Um, I'm going to talk to Andrzej Horoszczak, who is the founder and CEO of Bilon. Bilon is a Polish and UK-based fintech company that says it has civilized blockchain. Let's hear if that's true. Um, and I'm going to let Andrzej introduce himself. So, hello, uh, my name is Andrzej Horoszczak and I'm a CEO of Bilon. And Bilon is a fintech and regtech company, uh, meaning that um, we operate regulated e-money uh, services and we operate uh, regulated or data compliant uh, offerings, uh, all based on, on blockchain. And uh, the company was founded about five years ago with a singular goal of civilizing blockchain. And uh, after many years and basically engineering work, we, we achieved our first breakthrough when we went live uh, in United Kingdom, actually with an e-money product. We were the first company in the world to, to receive e-money license from British FCA for minting British pound on a blockchain system. Uh, okay, Angela, let, let me let me let me um, jump jump in there. Um, it, you said something about civilized blockchain. So, what do you mean by that? Well, we mean by civilized blockchain, we mean essentially three things, uh, and that uh, all comes down to removing. Uh, barriers of entry that prevented widespread adoption of blockchain technology up till now. And the, mm -hmm. the barrier is actually the most difficult for most people to accept. You have to give up cryptocurrencies. This is a very esoteric invention, interesting one, but in real life, it's a big problem, big problem for regulators, for governments, but also big problems for, for corporates, you know, who just want to go on with their business. And even in everyday life, do you really want to go and buy your bread with Bitcoin? Probably not. So uh, mm -hmm. very hard to base our blockchain technology on what is called fiat currencies, meaning basically governmental everyday everyday currencies, British pound, yeah. zloty, euros. Uh, mm -hmm. A big thing. Uh, the, the second thing that that you need to do is because um, you know we are asking trust from people because we we process their money we keep their money and you have to give something in return you have to be transparent you have to be audited essentially you have to be regulated you have to fulfill the expectations that societies today have when they uh trust with their money uh in, in a company or in a technology and we've done that we received our license from british fca last year and uh, now, post-Brexit, we are getting a second license for continental Europe out of Polish KNF. And it's going to be hopefully completed this summer. And the mm -hmm. thing uh, that, that civilization means is 
what kind of value blockchain gives to the society? Is blockchain just a, a, a toy for programmers to play with and create some fancy, uh, you know, geek uh, stuff? Or is blockchain uh, mature enough uh, to be developed into real products, products that uh, improve lives of everyday person, lives that improve business operations? And we think so. We, we've created products which today solve very important challenges. Yes. So, but you know, one thing that I was wondering, um, you said you get an e-money license. Now, we all know that there are many, many e-money products on the market already. So the question is, why do we need e-money on blockchain? What does the blockchain piece add to that? Well, um, essentially, the way we, we constructed our technology is that we created a, a system like a core banking system that records wealth and records movements of that wealth uh, between people. And that's a fully decentralized system. We often call it a distributed ledger technology. It has many advantages. Main one comes from trust, uh, security, costs are much lower. Uh, essentially, um, this technology solves big, big problems that the legacy technology was unable to solve. One of them is number of intermediaries. When you think about old systems, Visa, Swift, whatever, uh, on average, you had between four to seven intermediaries in any single transactions moving money. That, that created a very fragile, very expensive, and very difficult to set up uh, system. And even the first generation uh, blockchain players like Bitcoin, the, the inventor of that technology, has made tremendous improvements because they went uh, from this five to seven intermediaries, intermediaries to just one intermediary. Because essentially, when you think about Bitcoin and their approach, there is something called mining and miner. And miner performs two functions. One function is creation of money supplies. Miners create new blocks and they, they are new Bitcoins. But, but miners also secure transactions of other people. So wh whenever you want to transact with somebody, you then submit your transaction for validation to that miner. So essentially, that miner is your intermediary, is, but it's only one. It's a big improvement. Um, the, the second thing that blockchain kind of set out to do, uh, and, and it's been slow doing it, but it, the direction is clear, it's the end of data isolation. And data isolation is a big problem for, for any IT system, for any operations. Uh, essentially, up till now, you had two separate worlds. In one world, uh, you had people like SAP, the, the very successful German company, or Oracle, uh, that were that is concentrating on processing data events, and they are they are they are doing a good job of this. But but then you have separate world of money, Visa, Swift, banking, and they are entirely walled off, uh, separated uh, from one another. Okay. So essentially, you have two separate worlds with two separate IT systems processing the same stuff. And that always results in problems. You call it settlement, you call it clearing problems. You, 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 you always have this problem, you do not really trust the data. And you end up having audit functions, manual reconciliation, people in back offices. And blockchain, especially the second generation blockchain, uh, here Ethereum, invented something very powerful called, called smart contracts. And, and mm -hmm. smart contracts essentially is, for the first time ever, 
ability for the business roles to interact with the money roles and kind of work in unison. Uh, but Ethereum didn't fulfill everything. It, it made this huge improvement, huge invention. But there is this, this big problem that Ethereum keeps business data off ledger, meaning it's outside of the blockchain system. It's still kept on a, on a legacy, what is called SQL database, a traditional centralized database. So Ethereum essentially is like a hybrid car. You have this you know, new uh, small electric engine, but most of the propulsion is done by this old diesel, uh, not very good uh, engine. Uh, mm -hmm. But us, Bilon, essentially we are fully electric car. Uh, we have performance that's sufficient and, and technology advanced enough that we can actually store mountains of data directly on chain. So uh, with us, the data isolation is finished once and for all, because even the business data is stored in this blockchain cloud or whatever you want to call it. And, and, it's, and it's there for this unified processing. Uh, and that has far reaching ramifications for the IT world, for the back office world, for the, for the legal world, for regulators, because now you have essentially one system which has indisputable trust in the data, both the business data and the, and the money data. This, this makes a lot of sense, but maybe to, um, to make it more tangible for, for listeners, could you give us a, like a real-life example? I mean, I've, I've read something that um, uh, Ben co cooperated with the, well, now I would call it the Polish Schufa or Burgle, or it's the credit, a credit bureau, right? Right. We have a big partnership with Credit Bureau, uh, essentially uh, regarding uh, trusted document storage. Uh, there is this big wave of regulations, GDPR, uh, MIFID2, MIFID2, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, is called in legal language a durable medium requirement, which comes from number of directives, yeah. new directives. Essentially, all of them are all about empowering back the consumers, giving back more control to them. And I think it can be best explained on this requirement for record storage. Financial dealings between banks and consumers have to be stored on, on something which is yeah. called durable medium. In the past, it was uh, basically a, a list of hardware devices. That definition has been changed. There was this big lawsuit that uh, Bavag, the Austrian uh, bank, lost in, in Luxembourg and the, the High Court of Justice in, of the European Union. And now the definition of durable medium is, is, is very concise. Um, and it says there are three tests. And if you, if you fulfill these three tests, you are a durable medium. So what are those tests? Uh, test number one, it has to be technically impossible to delete the information or make it inaccessible. Test number two, uh, it has to be technically impossible to alter the information without consent from both parties. And test number three, probably the most difficult to fulfill, this durable medium system has to be outside of the direct control of the bank or other corporation. Mm -hmm. So when you these three legal tests together, they, they beautifully describe a blockchain-based yep. yep. system. And 
Yeah. So this is essentially what we built for BIK because BIK is the largest credit scoring bureau. They are owned by 10, 10 largest banks in Poland, including Citi, including ING, including PKO. And they wanted to solve this in a modern way. So, so rather than going back to paper, going back to some kind of crazy you know, CD-ROM solutions, they wanted to make this leap forward to new technology. And, and we created the system. And that system essentially um, creates a level playing field. Uh, we consider it, you know, from the legal language terminology, a commons. A commons on which people can conduct business. So that data is now stored on this blockchain system created by us, but operated as a co-op, as a cooperative by everybody in the system. So by banks, by telecoms, by insurance companies, by BIK, and even the regulators are part, will be part of the system with the observer nodes. Mm -hmm. So this is a new commons on which you put data, consumer data. And there is this one thing which I want to explain, which I think is very important. Up till now, all of the data was always stored in the IT systems of big corporations. Yes. In a geek speak, it's called server-side encryption. So the data was under control of whoever controlled the server. And that means that uh, the, the consumer was always the supplicant. He would always ask, oh, please send me my records. Please show me what my data is. And the control of the data was a, a big pro is a big problem, right? But with our approach, we are moving to client-side encryption. So data is encrypted by, and, and controlled by users, by their keys, and it's stored kind of in between. So, so both the corporation has the same access to the data to the stored on blockchain as Mr. Smith has to the data. So essentially, we I believe democratized access to the data, and we moved back the control to be kind of equal, both on the on the consumer side on the corporation side. So, so if let's put, make it very concrete. So I would be buying a house in Poland, and I I would take out a credit from a Polish bank. That credit uh, agreement that would be stored then automatically in that distributed ledger run by the, the, the Polish credit office? Correct. And, and, and I could access it? Would it be like a PDF that I can have a look at in my smartphone or, or via, I don't know, some, some app over the internet? Or how does that work? Right. So uh, the system is universal. It can store all kinds of data. It can store PDFs, pictures of, of your children. It can store passwords. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the data obviously will be PDF, will be structured PDFs. So the way it works is that there is a concept of a publisher, so a person that is responsible for data creation. They are also uh, data administrators from the point of view of, of, of GDPR regulations. Uh, but the data, when it's put on the blockchain system, is encrypted with keys of the end consumer and the publisher as well. So it's stored on the, on the distributed ledger. Uh, and the way we, we've done this, uh, part of this big rollout that we've done for, for eight banks so far in Poland as, as a POC, as a proof of concept, is that we provided three ways to access the data. So uh, we have uh, connections, APIs, that's what you call them, um, that we supply to the banks. So the bank can read the contract directly from the blockchain 
And then it can display in your electronic banking or your, your electronic consumer, whatever, service pages, web pages for you. So you as a consumer can continue using the old channel of, um, of, of access because you ask bank to read it for you from the blockchain. The only big difference is, is whenever a new document is published, you as a consumer will now go get a SMS message, push message, email message, any channel that you like and you find convenient, it can be even Twitter message, with information there has been new legally, um, legally binding publication. And that publication has this magic, what is called hash sum. It's basically a 24-digit long uh, number, a string of letters and numbers, which mm -hmm. identifies this particular document, this particular uh, documentation. And when you retrieve the document, you can either automatically or manually check if the document actually has this hash sum. Hash sum is like a control sum, okay? So you know it's really this document. Uh, so, so here, not that the, the user journey is similar with this one big exception. You're now getting notifications with control sum, with checksums that 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 kind of make sure the integrity of the data. The second channel of access, it's actually I think uh, uh, where you see the beauty of the system. There's a web page in this case operated by BIK by the Credit Bureau. And on that web page, you can just go in with your browser, Firefox or Chromium, whatever you want. And you have access to every single document from every single relation that you have. So it's not just the bank document, the telecom documents, your, your gas documents, your, your, and everything is in one place on this one page with one password, with one access. So, so we bring this order and an organization which is so missing with the with the legal documentations okay and the final yeah. uh, the final the third way and i think the most convenient one frankly is you can just simply download an app uh, for android for ios and you can read your documents financial statements bank statements whatever is is the need be directly on your ipad your your telephone the neat thing is it has some nice features like you can do a diff you can compare versions so, for instance, you know, you get a new terms and conditions. What has changed, really? You just say old version, new version, bam, you see the differences, okay? Uh, and again, in one place, in one app, you get all of the communications. So you see telephone bills and bank statements and, and, and terms and conditions, okay? So, so we make your life as an end consumer way easier. Yes, I mean, I was just, you know, you know what I hate at the end of the year when you have to sort all the paper contracts for tax filings and so on. So I was thinking, wow, you could just go down there and then either print or you could just send the, 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 the link to that to the tax authorities. So that would make life a lot easier. But then on the other hand, uh, what also came to my mind, this is more the brave new world version of that. What if the tax authorities could also access that ledger or government or, and then I would be like, you know, my life would be completely stored and maybe accessible to governments or, you know, not so well meaning beings. Right. Uh, so, you know, we cannot um, 
fix the world overnight. Uh, but I believe the transparency and, 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 and the visibility in what happens with your data is sufficient to make people more responsible because it's not just the government they need to worry about. It's people that sell your data, okay? That is even more dangerous. Uh, your, your data, even your bank data is, is circulated, it's sold off to people that you really would not want them to read your data. Mm. So, so they did it, and this is the power of blockchain. Every single data is always encrypted, but whenever somebody decrypts this data and, and gives access to this data to a new party, it can be government, it can be a company, marketing company, or it can be a very legitimate use. You know, you want to you want to take out loan, right? And, and you want to have a mortgage. So you want to give access to your to your credit history to whoever is giving you the loan, right? But before, this was really murky. You didn't know who, when was, was getting access to this data. Now it will all be recorded on the blockchain. You will see on this date, uh, that access was granted to that institution or to that person. And, and, and it's recorded there forever. So you can check it. So, so that, that gives this level of, of transparency that I think will make data access more responsible. Yeah, so, it's, I mean, to, to my mind, distributed ledger kind of means everybody has, can look into everything. But from what I understand, there is a possibility to restrict access to, to certain documents. Right. So as I mentioned, this is what we employ. We employ kind of client-side encryption. Mm -hmm. So even the data is there is unreadable uh, or, or, or meaningless uh, to anybody but the parties of the transaction, so you as a consumer and, and the company. And, and the rest of the people just know that there was something written on that date by, by, by this publisher. So, so they, they only know very, very little. So you have to give, as a consumer, permission uh, for your data to be decrypted and used for, for, for the third party. Yeah, that's... Um, one thing that, that a lot of people say that, that, that is um, an issue for blockchain is um, that, it, that it takes up so much energy and basically just to store um, a little piece of information, you know, uh, it, it kills the rainforest and all of that. So how, how, how are you going to tackle that? We, we have. As I've mentioned, we, we civilized blockchain. And one of the things which we, our engineers have done they worked on other ways to secure the system because what you are talking about is mining and mining in a geek speak is called proof of work. It's a very an energy consuming, very slow process. It actually creates scalability problems for, for blockchain. And, and we, you can do better. Uh, so, so we moved to a, a cooperative uh, proof of stake type of blockchain, which eliminates need of mining. Uh, so it's it's there's there's no electricity to be consumed. It's much faster to operate. It scales much much better. So this is one of the big uh, uh, innovations that we have put into our product. That that sounds yeah that sounds great. And you know when when you were talking about the the uh, proof of concept that you're that you're doing right now for the Polish Credit um, Office, you know there's a lot of things that come to mind that that could be done with this type of technology like. One of the biggest issues I think um, right now in the in the financial space is how to do a seamless um, know your customer due diligence, uh, how to do um, verification identification um, on the internet. 
And so if coming in with the EIDAS uh, regulation, um, do, do you see a use case for, for blockchain there for you know, Absolutely. identification? Absolutely. I mean, essentially, we have to move to a unified processing, unified processing of data, unified processing of money, and unified processing of identity. This historically has been in three separate domains. Um, the identity usually was in a domain of a governments and, and, and their IT systems. But mm. we need to move to a unified processing. And, and blockchain allows you to do that. It allows you to have your KYC, your, your identification data on the blockchain. That also increases the control that the users have because they released identity to whomever they want. In our system, essentially, it, it, it comes in the form of a push message saying, you know, this and this person wants to access your KYC data, your personal data. Do you agree to release it to them? Yes or no? Um, we also um, employed banks uh, as KYC providers. So, so they are privileged actors in our permissioned blockchain. And those privileged actors actually are responsible for the quality of the KYC data. Uh, so we think this is the way to go. Yeah, that that sounds that sounds um, super interesting. So, and but it does it, it would be I mean coming to a unified system that's a fundamental change. Um, it comes there, there are many things. How do you think it will disrupt the financial system? But also, are the regulations and the the, the how we are thinking about it because this is this is something that cannot be regulated by one government. This is like a global thing, um, right? So, what do you think how how this how this could transform society. Maybe we start with the financial system, but then, you know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a more fundamental change. Right. I mean, that's a difficult debate and it's been ongoing in this blockchain world for, you know, five, maybe even more years. Essentially, you have two camps. One camp which says, I want to do a Bolshevik type revolution. And they call it, I want to disintermediate the central banks. I want to disintermediate the banks. So after I destroy the fin world's financial system, I'm going to build a new, in this new Bitcoin world, okay, where everything will be democratic, no restrictions. Some people call it a, a public blockchain, and they really mean like a wild west. Anything and everybody and everything can be done. Uh, and that's obviously a very difficult thing for people to accept. That's why there is so much regulatory resistance against this kind of approach. Mm. Um, there is another kind of people, uh, and they usually call themselves a private blockchain people. Uh, IBM comes to mind as, as, as one of the biggest proponents of this approach. And they are saying, you know, let's close uh, these blockchain systems into the confines of one or maybe two server rooms. Okay. And then it's going to be safe. Then it's going to be kind of under control of the bank or regulator. But that essentially defeats the purpose of a distributed technology, okay? That, that reduces security. Uh, it's just not... Uh, uh, it, it's in a stark contrast with, with, with the power of the technology. So you have this uh, clash, clash of technologists, of geeks and, and regulators and banks that see the world in very oppose, opposing ways. But we believe at Beyond that there is a third way, that there is a middle ground, uh, and we, we firmly believe it can be done. And we call it the permissioned blockchain. And in the permissioned blockchain approach, 
Um, you, you, once you adopt our civilized blockchain, everybody can find their own place, banks, regulators, customers, without destroying the world. Uh, you just improve the way you operate, you improve the way you work, but certain principles are upheld. So principle number one, the blockchain is open on the internet. Anybody can install what is called a node, so a piece of software which talks the blockchain language. Uh, and, and you can start using it. But once you reach a certain limit, and under Imani regulations that varies from 100 euro to about 500 euro, um, you have to stop using it until you go through KYC. And there are certain privileged actors in the system, in this permission blockchain system. Those certain privileged actors, uh, in our case, these are banks or regulated Imani institutions, and they perform three functions. So one function is that they are responsible for, the, for your transaction limits, for this 100 or 500 limit, and then for maybe bigger limits. Uh, so they, they help you with AML, stopping the bad people, and from KYC, uh, identifying who you are. But in our system, the banks also co are conduits for transferring money supply from a central bank onto a blockchain. Okay. That, that happens also uh, under their kind of watchful eye and, and in a regulated way. But these are the only three things. Uh, the rest of the system is, is do whatever you want. You can deploy it in your company, storing your data under your control. You can deploy it for a financial remittance use case and, and, and still open. Okay, so we believe this is this is this is the middle ground that that the technologies, the geeks can keep on innovating while there is a reasonable level of control and responsibility, social responsibility with this permissioned approach. That's yeah, that's interesting. When when you approach regulators, um, what, what what kind of reactions do you get? Are they cautious or are they interested or you know don't want to hear about it? What's your experience? No, I think they, they all want to hear about it. Uh, I mean, there is a general consensus that there is no turning back, okay? That, that just simple mm -hmm. legacy systems have reached the end of their useful life. You see the rise of hacking, the rise of mass data leaks. Uh, I, I mean, the IT spendings is just an ever-increasing spiral with more and more complex IT systems. Nobody really understands them or controls them anymore. So obviously the old systems have, have reached a dead end. And blockchain solves all of this, the security issue, the, 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 the trust issue. Um, so, but the question is, how do you civilize this technology? How do you move onto this platform without uh, creating more problems? And so regulators mm. are very interested in talking to us, saying how we solve this, how we civilize blockchain. As a matter of fact, I, I've mentioned that in the beginning, we were part of the first cohort that British FCA invited for their sandbox program because they were so interested in how we are doing this. Obviously, this is a process because you have to educate the regulators and we've done so in UK, we've done so in Poland. Now we are doing it in the Middle East and soon we're going to be doing it in Singapore. Uh, but this is not just the monetary regulators that we need to worry about or we need to talk to or engage to. We need to also engage data regulators, uh, because blockchain to us is essentially a data processing tool, a distributed data processing tool. So the data regulators also need to be educated. They need to understand the trade-offs that are being made. And essentially, for the first time, there is a different way of controlling the data. And, and they have to 
take a stand. They, they have to, you know, prepare themselves for something which will definitely come uh, and they need to be ready for it. Yeah, now I agree. And I, do you think we'll, we'll need new regulatory requirements? you think there will be like a, a blockchain regulation? <laughs> There's too many regulations and too many, too many regulators already with many conflicting regulations. Mm -hmm. Europe is actually probably in a, in a worst worldwide situation as far as number of regulators, number of regulations. Okay? So I don't think we need yet another regulator for blockchain. Uh, I, I just do think that uh, that you need to leave uh, a more leeway for the technology to develop. Okay, so so it's too early to block it. It, it you, you you have to leave some kind of uh, wiggle room for technology to mature. Okay, uh, because if you make far-reaching decisions now based on the limited knowledge you're going to basically force people underground or, or even worse, okay? Uh, there is a big movement towards, uh, it's not just us, other companies are trying to, to work with regulators. But as I've mentioned, we are at the very early stages of this, of this, of this blockchain technology. Uh, essentially, it's an arms race or technological race between many, many technological companies. And not all of the answers or not even all of the questions Uh, have been identified yet. Yeah, I agree. Um, Ante, this, this is uh, really good stuff, really, really interesting. And I thank you very much that you explained your newest project, but also more of the world of blockchain that um, I have to say got me even more interested in it because it's a different angle and, and a more, uh, it's, let's say, more practical blockchain. Um, and this is this is really great, and um, I'm sure we'll hear great things from a billion. Thank you, Suzanne. I'm I'm happy talking. I'll, let's be in touch in the future. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for joining Paytech Talk today. For further information, visit your source for legal and industry-specific insights on payment, banking, and IT, and subscribe to our newsletter at paytechlaw.com.